Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We want to jump into a new series, which we've entitled, I've Got Questions. And, and over the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to address, I think, some of the toughest questions that the world around us poses to us when it comes to our faith. And I, I do believe that these are some of the questions that stand between an unbelieving world and coming to faith in Jesus. And some of it is serious, like it's, it's real. And, and the one today that we're going to deal with is serious. Uh, it's it's going to be a little bit heavy, a little bit deep. I'm just warning you in advance because the, the question that we're addressing today is why do bad things happen to good people? And just straight up front, I, I hope you, that you see some problems in that question in the first place, right? Uh, it assumes that we're actually good and there's not a single one of us that is good, right? And, and, and I think the heart behind that is, you know, if people are trying and they're doing the best that they can and, and you know, just trying to get ahead and, and just bad things keep piling up, why, why does God allow that stuff to happen? And so we're going to dive into this because I, I don't think it's just a tough question. I think it's the tough question. It's, it's the tough question for philosophers, for theologians, and probably for each and every one of us in this room today. And we do. I, I know we, had, we answer this question a lot on a very personal ba- uh, level because many of the people at Mountain View Fellowship have run into some serious, serious things in their life where they start asking the question, why is this happening? Like I'm trying to follow Jesus and yet I keep getting hit over and over and over again. And if that's you today, this message is for you. I'm thrilled you're here. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would just do his work on our hearts this morning as we talk through this. Because as I look through the room, I just see story after story. And I know many of you have been in this place, if you're not in it right now, where you're asking that question. Why is there suffering? Why, why is there evil? Why, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And we have a lot of stories. And I'm not taking these examples from the Hallmark Channel, all right? I'm pulling them from you. I'm going to change the name so nobody knows who we're talking about here. But, but for instance, uh, Carrie was uh, a single mom. We watched her grow in her faith. After her divorce, she absolutely told me, I'm never getting married again. Like, I, there's just no way. Men are evil. And I was like, well, let's talk about that, right? And so several years went by, and as God would have it, she ran into an amazing godly man. Incredible. And you know what happened? Her mind changed. And they started dating seriously. They fell in love. They got married. And then about five years after the, uh, the marriage, he died in a work-related accident. So what do you say to Carrie, right? Um, we had a guy in here, we'll just call him Keith. Keith was a, a single guy. He'd been single his whole life. He was uh, probably in his 40s. He'd pretty much given up on the dating scene. He wasn't even looking anymore. And again... Uh, God has a funny way of doing things, doesn't he? And he runs into this woman in town at, at another church. They went to a church event, met this woman, godly woman. Met her several times. She's fantastic. And um, they started dating, fell in love. 
And he finally came and said, I'm going to propose. Okay, awesome. And he proposes. She said, yes, things are going great. And, and so he's driving into South Denver where she lives and driving home an hour each way all the time, like all the time. They're in love, man. And one day after dinner, uh, one night after dinner, he's driving home because um, he's in so much in love with her. He can't, he just had dinner with her, but he's still got to talk to her. So he's on the phone with her. He calls her. She's at the house. He's talking to her. And while he's on the phone with her, um, things start to get real serious because she says, you know, it seems like somebody's at the door. No, somebody's trying, to, somebody's trying to come in through the window. And he was witnessing a burglary of her house on the phone with her. He called 911, called her back. She said, yes, somebody's definitely coming in through the back door. And he listened while the assault took place. And by the time he got there, the cops were already there and they broke the news to him that they had killed her in the process. What do you say to Keith? How do you address that type of suffering? Uh, we have a, a lady, we're going to call her Roxanne. She prayed for all of her kids. She raised them in a godly home. She did everything she could. And yet her older daughter, after leaving and going to college, um, opened a door that she couldn't shut. It was a door to drugs and she couldn't get off of it. And she would disappear for many years. Mom, dad, everybody was worried to death, had no idea where she was at. They would eventually find her years later. She had been homeless. And not only that, she had had a son. So they brought her home. She had many relapses in the process. They ended up getting custody of the kids and raising the kid themselves, even though they had already done that as parents. Now they're having to do it as grandparents, trying to get their daughter off of drugs. And time and time again, it just wasn't happening. And praying, praying with everything within them that God would change the situation. Uh, years later, the boy's about eight years old and her daughter finally decided, hey, it's time, I gotta get clean. I'm gonna go to rehab. Okay, fine. We found a great rehab center out of state specialized in, in what she was addicted to and we're like, okay, this is gonna be great. I went over, prayed with the family we sent her off. She spent a great day. She, she was limited in her time with her son because of everything that had happened. And so this day, she got to spend some time with her eight-year-old son. We put her on a plane, flew her out. And she was supposed to check into rehab the next morning. And before she checked in that night, she decided she was going to do drugs one last time. And she OD'd. What do you say to Roxanne? And that's just a, a sampling. Like we, we've got stories like that going on right now and some of you are in the midst of that. Why do bad things happen to good people? C.S. Lewis in his book, Problem with Pain, wrote it this way. He said, if, if God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy and if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy, therefore God lacks either goodness or power or both. And I think very succinctly, C.S. Lewis pretty much summed up the entire problem. That's about as simply as you can state the issue. We're not asking why does God allow bad things to happen to people. We're asking, okay, if what I'm going through, if God was good and I'm good, then that means that God is not powerful or he can't change things or he doesn't love me. He's not good. That's the struggle that we're having internally. And I have to tell you, I, I think... I've been to this place, I have. My wife and I, we, we've shared in our own suffering. 
we um, lost a job, a career job. I had my whole life planned out. 35, at the age of 35, I was going to retire. I was going to be fine. And we got our, our throats cut in business. Uh, the men that did that to me are thriving today. Uh, we lost our son two weeks before delivery. Had to pick out a casket about this big. Um, we, we have seen um, 35 years of fighting lupus. Right after we got married, my wife was di- diagnosed with lupus. Uh, a disease, by the way, that's killed her twice. They've had to bring her back. We've been there, done that. I think I, I paid for an entire wing on University Hospital. Um, my brother-in-law, who we love dearly, came home from church one Sunday, was in a great mood, said, I'm going to just go for a ride. It's a beautiful day, and never came back. He was killed in a motorcycle crash. Um, and and here, here's the thing. I know that every one of us has suffering, and I know that my pain isn't nearly as bad as Carrie's or Keith's or Roxanne's, but does it really need to be? Because your pain will always fill the void in the soul that's left there by loss. We all feel it. It fills that void, and and it doesn't matter how big or how small it is, we know what pain feels like. Your pain is your own, and it's just as big of a problem in your life as it is in anyone else's. Pain fills that void. And maybe you're asking that question this morning, why is God allowing this to happen? Why does bad things, why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe you're at that place where you're just struggling right now. And if you're honest, you'd have to say in the middle of the night when it's dark, you're angry. Like you're having chats with God and you're just ticked off and you're shaking your fist at him right now. Maybe that's where you're at. And I want you to know a couple things. First of all, um, God can handle it. He can handle your questions. Uh, The other thing I want you to know is you're not a bad person for asking the question. God understands where you're at. He knows what you're going through. Uh, This is not a new problem. You're not the first one to deal with it. I'm not the first one to deal with it. This has been going on since the beginning of creation. When sin entered into the picture, from that point on, we've had pain and we've had suffering and we've always asked this question. Uh, Even King David in Psalm 10, he was asking this question. He said, oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others. For they brag about their evil desires. They praise the greedy and curse the Lord. Even King David had these questions. A man after God's own heart. And so if you have these questions, God can handle them. It doesn't make you a bad person, but here's what I I would challenge you to do. It's pursue God for the answers. Now, I don't know the answer to the question for you. I think every one of us are dealing with a little bit different suffering, different pain. And I could stand up here and I could give you a a philosophical answer. I could give you a very theological answer. And and if you're not in pain today and you're sitting here listening to to my answer, you would probably go, uh, you would leave here today and go, you know, that was a good, good answer. But here's, here's the reality. Let's just talk real this morning. If you're really suffering, it doesn't matter how great of an answer I give you, it's never gonna be good enough because your pain and your suffering will still be there. It will still consume you. 
if you let it. Now, I'll just tell you, just quickly, the best answer I can give you is that God is love. His greatest virtue is love. Do you know that God prioritizes love higher than anything else? Higher than righteousness, higher than truth, higher than justice? God is love is what we're told in Scripture. And God wants you to love him back. He loves you so much that he wants you to love him back freely. And so he gave you free will. And this is the problem. Because if God were sovereign, then he could step in there and he could force you to love him. But in that very moment, it would cease to be love, right? And you know that. Because love isn't love unless it's freely given. And God loves us so much that he wants us to freely love him back. And so what does he do? He gives us free will. And as soon as he gave us free will, he introduced us into a life that is open to any possibility that we choose. Even evil. Even wrong. Even hatred. And that was the trade-off. And so because of that, we find ourselves in places where we are in pain. The problem is, as soon as we personalize what we're talking about this morning, as soon as we personalize pain and suffering, there isn't a good answer for it. Yes, God is love, great, but I'm still suffering, I'm still hurting. So let's, let's personalize this a little bit this morning. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Uh, let, let's ask the question, why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? Why am I going through what I'm going through today? Why am I dealing with bad things even though I've been trying to follow Jesus and do the right thing? Can I just give you the answer to that real quick? I don't know. That's the honest answer. I don't know. What I do know, though, is the answers that we've given in the past have turned more people away from the faith than any other topic. We've given some horrible answers in the past, and maybe you've heard some of these. Maybe even in the midst of your suffering, one of the horrible answers that we've given is that God did this. Why am I suffering? Why am I going through? Oh, well, because God did this. He chose. God's doing this to you. That's a horrible answer. Why? Because we know that God isn't some little brat kid up in heaven with a magnifying glass and we're a bunch of little ants running around. But that's the way we think of it sometimes when you give this answer that God did this. Now, I will tell you that God will allow certain things to happen in life. We know that. We, we know that another option is that Satan is attacking us. We know that. We're, that's clear in Scripture. We have an enemy that's constantly working against us, especially when you get serious about finding the answer to this question, right? Drawing close to Jesus, he's going to attack you. Uh, we know another option, a third option, would be that we live in a broken world. There is sin. There is real evil in this world. And so sometimes we, we experience pain because we live in a broken world. And then uh, the fourth one, we don't like this one, but we have to admit it because it is another option. It's just we're stupid, right? Like we make horrible decisions. It's the consequences of our decisions. And, and man, we live in an age today that um, I'm never at fault. So we don't like that one. But the reality is we do. We make some bad decisions and we suffer the consequences. So sometimes God allows it. Sometimes Satan does it. Sometimes it's just the fact we're living in a broken world and sometimes we, we did it to ourselves. God didn't do it. He's not torturing you. God is not mean and vindictive. He doesn't hate you. Uh, another horrible reason that we've given is that there's sin in your life. Um, I've, this, this is a fact, okay? I've never choked somebody out in church. 
I haven't, okay? Never, not once, I've never done it. But after we lost our son, we had a lady in church walk up to my wife and tell her we lost our kid because there must have been some sin in our life. And I can tell you, I promise you this, I wanted to lay hands on her, and I don't mean to pray for her, okay? Um, That is a horrible answer. And nowhere will you find that in Scripture. You won't. God is not punishing you because of your sin. Uh, Another bad answer is that God doesn't exist. Uh, I think so many people, when they ask this question, they finally, they can't really come up with a good answer, and so they just come to the conclusion that God doesn't exist. Let me ask you a question. If this is the answer, that God doesn't exist, does it really help your suffering? If you're really suffering and somebody says, well, God doesn't, doesn't really exist, and your pain and your suffering is proof of that, does it even help your suffering? If you believe that there's a God, at least there's some hope that can come out of that, that pain. At least there's some good. Uh, you might be able to, uh, to, to think in that direction that maybe God can do something with it. But if there is no God, then all the accidents and, and all the tornadoes and, and cancer and everything that go, go through in life, it's all meaningless. If there is no God, what that means then is that our pain and our suffering is meaningless. I think the cruelest thing you could ever say to somebody that's in pain is that there is no God. And if you are in pain, if you're suffering this morning and you haven't turned to Jesus, can I just beg you, please do this. Give God a chance because he is real. He is real. Now the reality with our question this morning is there's a problem with it because you'll never know the why. You'll never know the why. That, that's a truth that you need to know this morning as we ask this question. And here's what's interesting about this question or about this statement is we all know it and yet we still ask the question. We know we'll never know the why but we still ask why, why? Why is this happening to me? Even if I knew the why, even if you knew the why, would it help? If, if you knew the why, would it bring your wife back? Would it bring your health back? Would you get your job back? No. Even if you knew the why, it wouldn't alleviate any of the pain that you're going through right now. Now, let me give you some truth to live your life by. If you ask a question and all of the answers are insufficient, maybe the problem isn't with the answers, maybe the problem was with your question. And so instead of asking the why question, maybe um, ask a question that will help you gain some traction in your pain. Uh, Let me give you one. Instead of asking why, I want you to ask how. Specifically, how can I find meaning in suffering? How can I find meaning in what I'm going through right now? How can I find some meaning in what's happening in my life right now, whether I have control over it or not? What's the meaning in all of this? Uh, There was a guy by the name of Viktor Frankl. He was a psychotherapist back in the 1940s, um, which incredibly intelligent. um, The problem was he was living in Austria. Second problem is he was a Jew, which meant when the Nazis came in, they rounded him up with everybody else and threw him in concentration camps. Uh, Specifically, Frankel ended up in Auschwitz. And as a psychotherapist, um, I don't know if you could come up with a more hellish laboratory than Auschwitz. And yet this is exactly where he found himself. And as a psychotherapist, it just came naturally to him to watch the people around him, who was surviving and who wasn't. He ended up writing a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Do you know what his finding was? 
if you want to summarize the whole book, every person who survived found meaning in their suffering. That's the whole premise of that book. The, the whole point. Now, if you find meaning, if you ask the how question, does it make the suffering go away? No, it doesn't make the suffering go away. But some of the people in that concentration camp survived because they found meaning in their suffering. And maybe the meaning was just the, the fact that someday they wanted to be reunited with their family. Some of them found meaning in just helping their bunkmate who couldn't get out of bed. That was their whole meaning is just today I got to help my friend make it so that he doesn't die or she doesn't die. Uh, some of them found meaning in just this resolve of when I get out of this place, I'm going to be a more grittier person. I'm going to be more passionate about life after I get out of this place. And that's what drove them through. There was meaning in their suffering. Everyone who survived asked, how can I find meaning in suffering? Not why did this happen? Those who asked the why question didn't survive. Those who asked the how found meaning in it and they were able to survive. Uh, another um, thing I ran across here recently, there's an entrepreneur out there, a businesswoman, incredible. Her name's Mary Morrissey. And she did a short little podcast. It's 11 minutes. It's called What Highly Successful People Do When Bad Things Happen. And, and I thought so much of it that I actually posted it to the app. So if you have the app, you can just go to media and click on videos. It's right there. You can watch it. Don't watch it now, but you can watch it later, okay? And let me just give you a summary of what she said. And this is all secular, by the way. But it points back to scripture. Uh, this is what she said. I, th I thought this was so profound. She, she gave three steps for being able to overcome bad things. She said, first of all, um, her line was, it is what it is. Which my family's laughing right now because that's something I say all the time. That is what it is. It is what it is. And what she meant by that is, hey, it, what just happened really happened and it's Okay. Like it is what it is. And, and her encouragement was this. Anytime something bad happens to you, choose in that moment not to respond. Delay your response for 72 hours. Just don't respond right away. Because you always respond out of emotion. And guess what emotion gets you? It gets you wrong responses. She says, wait 72 hours. Now, her second thing was harvest the good. And she said, in that 72 hours, what you do is you sit down and you make a list of all of the things that, that could be good out of this situation. What are the possible good things that could come out of whatever just happened? And she said, in that moment, what ends up happening is you start to open your mind and your eyes and you start to, to get a better picture of what could happen. You put it in perspective in your life. And then number three, discard the rest. And I love that because I'm like, hey, um, delay, it is what it is, it just happened, yeah, it stinks, but it is what it is. What are some good things that God might be doing in this? Ask the how question, right? How can I find meaning in this? And then throw out everything else because you don't have any control of it anyway. It's not gonna get you to a good place. One of the things that she says in this is she says there's not one thing that can happen that you can't find some good in if you're not willing. That's a great mindset. Because the opposite of that is we find ourselves, anytime we're hurt, anytime we go through suffering, something happens in our life, we rehearse, we nurse, and we curse, right? This is what we do. We rehearse. We go over in our mind, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. Why did this happen? I should have said this. I should have done that. Why did they do that? Why, why did they respond? Right? We rehearse it over and over and over again, and then we begin to nurse it. 
We just nurse it like, like there's no, no, I mean, it's just incredible how we can nurse something. And let's be honest, the reason we do that is because we really like to be mad, right? We like to be angry. We like to, to just kind of boil in it for a while. And so we nurse it. And then we curse it. We do everything from cursing to blaming somebody else for it. This is our typical response if we're not careful. Now, I'll just tell you this. As long as you rehearse it, you nurse it, and you curse it, you can never harvest the good out of it. You never can. Victor Frankl and Mary Morrissey, I think, are just secular examples to help us kind of understand some of Jesus' words, to be able to interpret that. If you would, uh, turn over to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, it's an amazing story because Jesus is leaving the temple He's just spent a long, long, long time debating with the religious leaders. The Pharisees, they've been having these arguments back and forth, and, and, and uh, I think he's just kind of putting the Pharisees in their place, and for whatever reason, the disciples are walking out of the temple with him, and they must have felt pretty puffed up, like, man, I want to be like that, right? I want to be able to walk into a temple and put those religious leaders in their place. I, I want to do that. And so as they're walking, they're leaving the temple, there's a blind dude there, it says that he's been blind since birth. He's about 40 years old, so it's been a long time that this guy's been blind, right? And look at verse 2. This is the, the question from the disciples. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? I think some of us hear that and we're like, morons? Idiots, right? That's a dumb question. Why would you ask that question? Um, you do it every day. You do. Because you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you say things to yourself all the time like, why is this happening? Because ah, I'm not worthy. All this is happening because I must have done something wrong. All this is going on in my life because I'm not good enough. We do the exact same thing as these disciples. And yet, look at Jesus' response in verse three. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now, if you're still asking the why question, why is this happening to me, and you read that, that's a horrible statement, isn't it? Wait a minute, I'm going through what I'm going through so that what God might be glorified? that he might get the glory out of this so the power of God could be revealed to the people around me? That stinks. I don't like that. That doesn't feel good, right? And so we wrestle with that one. But see, Jesus isn't answering the why question. He's answering the how question. Because what he does immediately after this is he spits in the ground, he makes some mud, he puts it on the dude's eyes, and he tells him to go wash in the pool. And he does, and he gets his sight. This guy can see for the very first time. And here's the point. Not that the dude could actually see, but that in that moment, everyone was forced to make a decision about who Jesus was. That was the point. It was an eternal perspective, not an earthly one, that was driving this whole scene. Now, if you take a look, uh, I just want to put a graph up on the screen for you real quick. If you take a look at these questions, there's a big shift in a mindset when you go from why to how. Because when you ask, why am I suffering? What you're doing is you're asking a past question. 
You're stuck in the past. And what that leads to, the emotion that's produced in that is just anger or frustration. But when you change your question from why to how, you ask the question, how can I find meaning? Then you begin to look forward. You're looking into the future at that point. And what that brings in emotion is hope and expectation. Now in your suffering, if you can say to yourself, I'm gonna find a path forward, that's when your suffering becomes meaningful. In his book, Viktor Frankl said this, and I think this is so powerful. He said, the moment you find meaning in your suffering, it it ceases to be suffering. The moment you find meaning in your suffering, it ceases to be suffering. What a powerful statement. Why? Because, Because it's purposeful. Because now you're not asking why, you're asking how. And the truth is, it's hard to get to how. It's hard to get to the place where you let go of the why and you begin to ask the how. And, and you'll, you'll never have the right how unless you have the right who. Um, remember Keith? Listen to his fiance on the phone. Um, years later, he ended up turning his whole situation over to God. And there were some dark times, don't get me wrong. Uh, There was a lot of prayer. There was a lot of just searching in that moment. But yet, um, he knew that his fiance was a believer. He knew that even though her life was taken and it was evil, that she was in the arms of Jesus Christ. He knew that. And years later, God actually blessed him with another godly woman that walked into his life who could handle all of that and loved him through all of that. When you can find your how in suffering, it can become as much of a blessing as it is a curse. You can take something that's horrible and God can make it into something absolutely beautiful. But it's never a gift for you. Get this. It's never for you. It's for the people around you. Because if we're honest, we'd have to say that the people that have been most helpful to us have helped us out of their pain. And the people that we've helped the most in our life are the people that we helped out of our own pain. This is how God has set it up. The why is a mystery, but the how is in the who. And we need to ask who. This is another question. I think if you can get to this level, then you can learn how to take steps through your pain. But who can help me through my suffering? Um, There's a book in uh, the Old Testament. It's the oldest book in the entire Bible. And do you know it's all about this question this morning? I think it's interesting that the oldest book in the Bible is about suffering. It's a, it's a book called Job, J-O-B. It's not Job, it's Job, right? And it starts off in a very, very interesting way. It's a scene in heaven, and it's a conversation between God and Satan. And Satan pretty much says, hey, um, I'm looking to destroy people. I've just kind of been prowling around looking for somebody. And God offers up Job. But that sounds so horrible unless you understand the story. God's description of Job, and this should be the the bar that all of us are shooting for, is that he is blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. That's how God described Job. And man, especially as a man, we desire that God describes us that way. Blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Have you considered Job? And Satan goes, hmm. Job would curse you if you took everything away from him. And almost in this horrible game, it seems like, if you, if you read it superficially, 
God gives Satan permission to strip Job of everything. He strips him of his, his family. He strips him of his possessions. He loses his farm. He loses his position in the community. He even loses his health in all of this. And the only thing that Satan left Job with was his wife. And trust me, that was not a favor. Right? Because if you read the story, his wife comes to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? And I'm sure Job's like, thanks. Right? The one thing that I was hoping would be helpful. And she leaves him. The next 35 chapters, Job's friends, three of them, come to him and they question him. And if you read through them, you'll find out that they are all why questions. Job, maybe you ticked God off. Job, maybe you did something wrong. Maybe there's some sin that you don't know about. Job, and it's just constantly grilling him over all of this. And finally, when you get to the, toward the end of the book, Job snaps. He gets mad, he gets frustrated, he shakes his fist at God, he goes off on God a little bit, and God's not answering, and that frustrates him. Maybe you're in that place, right? And yet, from chapter 38 to 40, God shows up in a big way, and he answers Job. Take a look at this, Job 31, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job from a whirlwind, or some of your translations say, in a storm. God shows up in a big way and he says, who is, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man. And I think at that moment we would just wet ourselves, right? Man, this is God speaking. Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. And then he launches in for the next several chapters. Where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth, tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the, the surveying line? And then he goes on. He says things like, who kept the seas inside of its boundaries? Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? He, he starts saying things like, have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Do you know where the light comes from? Do you know where the darkness goes? Have you hung the stars in the sky? Can you hold the earth and make it rotate and cause everything in on it to have life? If you can, then tell me. I mean, God lays it on him. And twice in this whole dialogue, Job's like, oh, my bad. Right? Because he realized in this moment, man, who am I to question you and all of that? Now, if you read it, and especially if you're not paying, it just it looks like a horrible story. You're like, man, why is this in the Bible? Like, this is harsh, right? But it, for any of us that have kids, we understand why God comes in and goes, right? Just shouts at him, gets his attention. Because if you have kids, you know that when you're in pain, it's like sometimes the only thing you can hear is when your parent gets in your face or gets your attention. Hey, cut it out. Listen to me. And man, does God get his attention. God wanted Job, and he wants all of us to know the who. It's God Almighty. Now, I couldn't answer the questions that God asked Job. There's no way. 
Uh, I don't know all the mysteries to the universe. I don't know how to hang a star. I don't know exactly, you know, how to sustain life and how all the different species and, and how they made and all the seasons. I don't know all that stuff. I know a fraction, and I think I'm so smart, but I'm nowhere close to a a one-tenth of one-tenth of one-tenth of one percent of what God has. I I have nothing. I, I don't know why you're suffering this morning, but I do know that you must find the how, the meaning of your suffering, and the only way to do that is to know the who. Who's in charge? Because the right who will lead you to the right how. This is how it works. And if you don't know God, I don't know how you make it through some of the suffering that you go through. I I say this all the time. I I do funerals for families and and there's no God in sight. And I see nothing but devastation and desperation. Why? Because they don't know the who. Without the who, there's no way they're going to figure out the how. You have to start with the who. Uh, If we go back to our graph, we see that we're added who can help. God himself, and when we start to to add that to it, we realize that that focuses on the present and what comes out of that, the emotion, is love. And if we start there, we can start making some sense of what we're going through. When you look to Jesus for the benefits of the suffering and everything that you're going for, then you can avoid this bitterness that comes with the other side of the why questions, of not having the whys answered. When you look to Jesus for the benefits in your suffering, you can become better equipped to trust him for the how. How are you going to use this, God? What are you going to do in this moment? How are you shaping me in this? Hebrews 12 says this, since we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. When you get to know the who, then you start looking for the how. Because you know that God is more than big enough to handle whatever whatever it is that you're going through. He is God Almighty. And he's going to take whatever that you're going through and he's going to use it for his glory and for your good. We know that. By his spirit, God can give you life and he can give you peace in every situation as you look to him for answers. The right who will lead you to the right how. But the first step is this. If you don't know Christ, you need to know Christ. Without the who, you're going to be lost in that forever. You're going to struggle in finding the how. You're going to struggle in finding meaning in in your suffering. So you, you need to get to know Jesus first. If you haven't done that, do that today before you leave. Talk to the person that invited you. Come see one of us as pastors. We'll share with you how you can get to know who is in charge. This God that was speaking to Job that loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. The the second step, once you know the who, then start looking to Jesus for the how. What are we we doing in this? Lord, what are you going to do? How are you going to turn this around? How are you going to use this to glorify you? How are you going to use this to mold and shape me into somebody that looks more and more like you? And when you begin to approach it like that, then suffering can become a blessing more than a curse. Now, here's what I want to do today. We're going to end a little bit differently. I'm just going to ask all of you if you would stand with me just for one moment. If you're able to stand, would you please stand? And um, 
I'm going to ask you to do something a little different, all right? Instead of having people stand, if you are going through pain, if you're going through suffering today, if you're struggling with this question, why? Why is this happening? What is going on in my life? What, God, why do I have to suffer like this? Um, and if you're going through suffering and you would like prayer, I'm just going to ask you to sit down. Would you just sit right where you're at? So we're reversing it a little bit today. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. The people that are around them, if you would, would you just begin praying for them? If, if you're close enough and you want to lay some hands on them, you can lay hands on them. But I'm just going to have you just spend some time in prayer for them. And would you, um, all of us across the room, would you just pray for those who are suffering in our midst today? And I'll close this in a word of prayer.